All right. Just a couple more announcements. We normally don't have so many announcements, but uh, so if you're a guest today, I don't want you to go away. Thing on Wednesday nights, our Bible study of the book of Mark is finished. What we're doing in Bible study t- uh, for the next few weeks is we are learning how to share our faith. We are learning how to share our faith. You know, that's a bit of an art to do that. It's not just some willy-nilly thing that you just happenstance. But we're learning some things about how to do that, how to be effective in it, how to be purposeful. So that's at 6.30 Wednesday night, 6.30 to 8 o'clock. And we had our first session last week, and I think, I think it went really well. So come on out to it. Most people are very frustrated with not being able to share their faith, aren't we? Well, there's just some simple things we can do to make ourselves much more effective. So, all right. I'll get rid of this. You know, a local pastor in town, a man that's been here for years, has told me a while back, he said, of all of his youth groups that he's had, that's the number one question. That's the number one, that's the number one thing that kids will inquire about is, how do I share my faith effectively with other people? How do I do that? So I think it's really unfortunate when people are believers, you know, for 5, 10, 15, 20 years and never led somebody to Christ. I mean, my goodness. But let's change that. Amen? Yes, well, it's being smart too. So be bold and be smart. Let's ask the Lord's blessing today on this message. Lord, we do ask for your blessing and favor Upon this message, we pray that you'll give us ears to hear with and hearts to comprehend and eyes to see with, that we may see this glorious Jesus Christ, this resurrected Christ. Amen. 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 Well, I had the honor and the privilege on Good Friday to speak at the Assembly of God, as Cliff made reference to. And it was through the Alpinari Ministerial Association, and it was a great number of churches, or not saying great number, but four or five, six churches that have come together, and we had a Good Friday service together. So I had, the, again, the privilege of being able to share. And my title was The Vicarious Christ, or The Vicarious Victorious Christ. So vicarious, anybody know what vicarious means? It means substitutional, that Christ was our substitute. And so on Good Friday, most people are probably preaching, and I have too on Good Friday, preaching about the effects of the crucifixion and how the physical suffering that Jesus went through for our good and our well-being, how the nails were driven into his, into his arms and into his feet. And we have a cross here with nails that would be very similar to the ones the Romans made. And how they were driven, and the pain and the agony that Christ went through. But I think there's another question that begs to be asked by many people, and that is, but why? But why? Yes, he had to die, he had to suffer, but why? Couldn't God just have changed things? Couldn't he have just worked things around, made it a little different? Why did he have to die for us? Did you ever ponder that? Well, somebody had to die for me, but why? Why? 
So when Christ became the vicarious substitute, that means he died in my place. Why couldn't I die? Why wouldn't my death pay the, sac- pay the penalty for my sins? When we look back in the book of Genesis, we see that, that God said to Adam and Eve, the day that you eat of this fruit, you shall surely die. But he lived to be 900 and some years old. I thought he was going to die that day. The truth is he did die. They died. They died in spirit. They no longer had that spiritual relationship with God that they once had. They were reduced now to earthly beings, to earthly man. They were cursed to the earth, weren't they? You'll make your living from the ground, from the earth. And by the sweat of your brow is how you'll make your living. You'll live a natural man. The spiritual, the spiritual fellowship that we had as we walked in the Garden of Eden has been broken. And man has been reduced. to, And man is in a fallen state because of that. And so you would think, why, why, why? Why did, my, why did my ancestors affect me like that? Well, Paul writes to us in Romans chapter 3. In Romans chapter 3, Paul writes and he says to us, he says to us, I'm sorry, chapter 5. Chapter 5, verse 12. Therefore, just as through one man sin entered into the world, and death through sin, and so death spread to all men, because all sinned. All men have sinned. If you say you have not sinned, you're a liar, the Bible says. That's pretty strong words, isn't it? It's in First John. If you say you never sin again, you're lying again. Some people say that once I've confessed my sins to Christ, that I am forgiven and I never have to confess them, that is a lie of hell. That is an old heresy that's being recycled. No, we need a Savior because we are in a fallen state. It's pretty obvious, isn't it, when you read the newspapers or see the news, that mankind is in a fallen state. We've been reduced to a level that's lower than what God has ever created us, intended us to be in. God has created us in His image to rule and reign, has He not? He did. That's what He told Adam and Eve. But man, through his rebellion to God, through sin, through, through the act of his free will, has now been reduced to the earth. And to the earth we'll go. Ashes for ashes. Dust for dust. Back to the earth we go. But our body doesn't stay. Our body stays in the earth and decomposes. But what happens to our spirit, our soul? It pays a penalty. There is a hell, isn't there? There is a real hell. Hell was not created by a loving God for his children. Hell was created for the devil and his angels. Matthew 25, but the devil is taking God's people into hell on a regular basis. But praise God for Jesus Christ, because Jesus Christ came to pay the price 
to keep us from hell, to keep us from that eternal damnation, to restore to us a life that we could now live that was similar to the life that Adam and Eve had with God in the garden. A similarity to that. Because Jesus came to give us life and life abundantly. He came to give us a new heart, a new spirit being born again. Our spirits quickened, made alive within us. So when we look back at the past, we can say, that wasn't me. That was another person. When I look at the old Gary Smith, he went down the water of the, of the baptism in my bathtub at my house, my old home. The water, I was baptized in my bathtub, and when that water went down the drain, that old Gary Smith went down with it. Hallelujah, Hallelujah is right. And that's the importance, one of the importance of baptisms. But back to this issue of, of, of the blood. There needs to be a blood sacrifice. There needs to be an offering to God to take care of the sin in our life. If you recall in the book of Genesis, when Adam and Eve sinned, they became aware of the fact that they were naked and they were ashamed. In Genesis chapter 3, and so they went and hid themselves. And they covered themselves with what? Fig leaves. Man's attempt always falls short. See, fig leaves would not take care of it. God then took the skins of animals and made clothing for them. And so there at that moment, the first blood sacrifice came about. Why is blood sacrifice so important? You see, vegetation couldn't cover the sins of man. He couldn't cover. You couldn't hide behind that. See, men today are always trying to hide their sins. And they hide it through religious activity. It can be through Hinduism, where you think you're going to be reincarnated and reincarnated. It can be through Islam, where you think you can just keep praying and praying and praying and praying and doing the works. And whatever, whatever that Muhammad requires or Allah requires. And someday you might achieve some paradise. But no Muslim ever has the assurance of salvation. No Hindu ever has the assurance of salvation. The only ones that can have assurance of salvation are those who are the followers of Jesus Christ. Because he rose from the grave. No other religious leader has ever died, been buried, and resurrected again. And because of that, we have a hope that we too, following him, will be raised from the dead. That's what this day is all about, isn't it? Resurrection Day? About the resurrection. Well, in Leviticus it says, if I could read that to you, Leviticus, I believe it's 17, verse 14. 17, 14. Leviticus 17, 14. <clears throat> says that for as, as for the life of all flesh, its blood is identified with its life. Therefore I said to the sons of Israel, you are not to eat the blood of any flesh. For the life of all flesh is its blood, and whoever eats it shall be cut off, those who eat blood. 
But there's a principle there that the life is in the blood. And so when Adam sinned, there had to be a blood, there had to be life given. And so God had then to take an innocent animal and sacrifice those animals for the shedding of blood. That's why the fig leaves wouldn't cover. Fig leaves have no life in that, in that regard. But the animals had that life, and that life was in the blood. And so be through that blood was a covering. And through the Old Testament, we see that goats and bulls were sacrificed by the thousands, by the millions. And you read about that, and you think, oh, how gory that is. And they were brought to the priest, and they were examined, and they slaughtered all, these, all this cattle, all this livestock. And it was for the sake of Israel to cover their sins. But it could never wash away their sins. And so year after year, year after year, year after year, they sacrificed and sacrificed and sacrificed and sacrificed for a covering of their sins. You see, all men know we're broken inside. We all know we're broken. We all know there's a void in our life. There's a God-shaped void in our life, isn't there? Nothing will ever fill that void in our life but God. And so men are macho and they're tough and they're, and they're, they're braggadocious and they're full of pride. But really all men are cowards. Until that true nature of Christ comes into our heart. So the blood was necessary, you know, and if you go to Cain and Abel, you realize that with Cain and Abel, what was the issue there when the two sons of Adam and Eve were to make a sacrifice, bring a sacrifice to God? There was a problem with their sacrifices, wasn't there? One of the sacrifices. This problem was with, with Cain's sacrifice, Cain was a farmer, and he cultivated the earth. And so he brought, knowingly, he brought to the Lord a sacrifice that was not appropriate. He brought a sacrifice from the earth, because he was an earthly man. But Abel was a man of the, of the flocks, and he brought a sacrifice from his flocks that was accepted by God. And so for centuries and centuries and centuries, men have been bringing about their sacrifices to God. I'll do good works. That'll be my sacrifice to God. I'll do good works. I'll do more good works. I'll pray lots more. I'll make it painful when I pray. I'll pray up the steps, the stone steps as Martin Luther doing his penances as a monk, praying and praying and praying and trying to earn his works, earn by works his place and position with God. And that's when the Lord spoke to him and said, The just shall live by faith. The just shall live by faith. And that began to resonate in Luther's heart. And he says, if the just live by faith, why am I trying to earn my way to God all the time? You see, whether you're a Hindu or a Muslim or whatever you are, or whether you're a Christian, you can continue to try to earn your way to God. But it's never good enough. It's all vanity. It's all vanity of vanities. You see... The blood was necessary. 
because it began to restore a relationship that God could look on a people that would carry his heart and his will to the best of their abilities. But there was still a problem. There's still a problem. The blood can never wash away the sins. So God in his great mercy in Genesis said, at that moment he said, after the fall of Adam and Eve, he said, the seed of the woman, the seed of the woman will crush your head, Satan. The seed of the woman, you'll bruise his heel through the crucifixion, but his head, your head will be crushed by his heel. And so there is the story of the Redeemer and a need for God to bring a people that would produce this Messiah, this Redeemer. So as you read the Old Testament, you see it's a, it's a story of the devil knowing this is going to happen, knowing he's going to suffer, knowing that the kingdoms of this world will no longer be his, that the lives of men will no longer be his. Oh yes, the earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof, but he had control of the kingdoms. That was his temptation to Jesus. Bow before me and I will give you the kingdoms of this world. Right? He had them to give because he usurped them from the position man had. Man was given a place to rule. And Satan usurped those places, that place and that position. So we have this dilemma that's going on. It's a dilemma. How does God restore his people back in the right relationship and bring back, bring back his people in the right standing? Not just in right standing by being, having their sins covered, but by having their hearts changed. So through this Old Testament, we have this whole process of the Satan knowing that's coming and trying to continually dilute the bloodline, dilute and pollute the bloodline. So he brings idolatry into the Israelites. He brings foreign women to help bring them into idolatry. He brings all of this. He tries to destroy the children of Israel. And God had called them as the sons of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. He had put his hand upon this people as a chosen people, the people that would produce the Messiah. You see, that's where Muhammad is, uh, is uh, out of the link here. Because the Messiah... And the prophets are all from the Jewish nations, from the Israelites. They had to be the sons of Abraham through Sarah and not through Hagar. And God promised that he would make a great nation out of Hagar's son, Ishmael. But the Messiah comes through the bloodline of the Hebrew people. And so for generation after generation after generation, they waited and they waited and they waited. For this Messiah to come. And the Messiah came, but they didn't recognize him. Many of them didn't recognize him. Many did. But this Messiah came as the Lamb of God. This Messiah came to give his blood. He had a purpose. And he knew it. And the Bible says in Philippians that he gave... He went to the cross out of obedience to his father. 
He humbled himself and went to the cross out of obedience. It's in Philippians. Not only because he loves us, because he loves his father too. And he cried out, he said, Father, if it's possible, remove this cup from me. He knew, we, you talk to the Jews at that time and you talk about drinking a cup, they knew what that meant. Drinking the cup was something that you were going to go through a very tough time in life if you're willing to accept that. Father, if, it's, if you are willing, remove this cup. Nonetheless, your will be done and not my own. Wow. That's a prayer that we all must pray. Lord, let your will be done in my life. It's a will of surrender. It's a prayer of surrender. Because, you know, it's very easy for us to make a, a living sacrifice to the Lord where we say, I'm giving my life to you. I give my, you know, people in praise and worship time. I give my life to you, Lord, anything you want out of my life. You know, I'll do anything for you, anything, until Monday morning hits. And then it's a different game. Isn't it? Very few people live for the Lord with their whole hearts. They can do it easily on Sunday morning, but when Monday morning hits, it's another story sometimes. But I'm thankful that you people aren't like that. No, I, I believe you people, I really do. I believe you are a people that lives for the Lord 100% of the time. I do. So Jesus comes, and he becomes the Lamb of God. As John the Baptist said, Behold the Lamb of God. Wow. Jesus came and he fulfilled, I couldn't tell you how many prophecies he filled, fulfilled. He came to fulfill his Father's will, and he filled the prophecies of this book. There's not one prophecy that he's missed. Do you realize that? Out of the dozens of prophecies that prophesied over him by, by the numerous writers of this book, and he's fulfilled every one of them to a T. Let me read out of you Psalm 22. It's called the Psalm of the Cross. This is written at a time when people were, nations weren't crucifying. The Jews stoned people to death. The Greeks and Romans came up with the crucifixions later on. In Psalm 22, it says, My God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? Far from my deliverance are the words of my groanings. Do you remember Jesus saying that on the cross? The record, recording of that in the Gospels? My God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? Far from my deliverance are the words of my groanings. Oh my God, I cry by day, but you don't answer. And by night, but I have no rest. Yet you are holy. You are enthroned upon the praises of Israel. And I'll skip down to verse 6. But I am a worm and I am not a man, a reproach of men, despised by the people. Have you read about the crucifixion and how they despised him and mocked him? And all who see me sneer at me. They separate with the lip. They wag their heads, saying, Commit yourself to the Lord. Let him deliver you. Let him rescue you because he delights in him. I mean, that's just verbatim what happened. Hundreds of years later, 
at that time of the crucifixion on Calvary. Calvary. Verse 9. Thou art he who did bring me forth from the womb. You do make me trust when upon my mother's breast. Upon thee I cast, was cast from birth. You have been my God from my mother's womb. But not far from me, for trouble is near, for there is none to help. Many bulls have surrounded me. It's figurative. Strong bulls of Bashan have encircled me. They open wide their mouth at me as a ravening and roaring lying. I am poured out like water, and all my bones are out of joint. My heart is like wax. It's melted within me. My strength is dried up like a potsherd, and my tongue cleaves to my jaws. And you lay me in the dust of death. Didn't Jesus say, I thirst? For dogs have surrounded me. What does that mean, dogs have surrounded me? The Gentiles surround me. A band of evildoers has encompassed me. They pierced my hands and my feet. I can count all my bones. They look, they stare at me, they divide my garments among them, and for my clothing they cast lots. Have you read the gospel account of the crucifixion? Have you read that lately? Do you think a man could contrive that? To bring that about, about your own death? Try it sometime. See if it works for you. Over and over and over. Jesus proclaims himself over and over and over. The gospel preachers have proclaimed him, and yet men shut their hearts to him. Men turn their hearts as stone to him over and over and over. And Hebrews says, today, if you hear his voice, do not, do not harden your heart as they've done. It's a warning to us. You know, I'm going to say, this life passes by fast. This life is very temporal. There is not a lot in this life that's going to stay with you for the rest of eternity. Your money, your gold, your silver, your home. The only thing that you can enjoy in eternity are other souls. And you know what? We are so carnally minded. That's what Adam became, a carnally minded person. We have become so carnally minded that we think what's really important in this life is our stuff and our status and our ego and our pride. We've been deceived by the deceiver, haven't we? The only thing that matters is living a humble, loving life with him and sharing it with others. Because... How will they know? Unless the preacher tell them. How will they know if nobody tells them? In our Wednesday night uh, time of studying about how to share our faith, I think it was Dr. Don mentioned that he'd heard on the radio that there was a statistic saying that 86% of the people that were, were asked said if someone would invite them to church, they'd go. 86%. So you're all thinking, I don't know anybody that go to church with me. Who'd want to go to church with me? 
But if that statistic is true, 86%. See, you bought a lie. We bought a lie. This is a time where there is a revival beginning to, to take place. The hearts of men are growing fearful. The society, the culture, it's all crumbling before our very eyes. And only an awakening of the Holy Spirit can bring about the salvation of America. And for those of you who don't know history, that's happened three times before. And it can happen again. But it takes you and I. It takes the fire of God to come back into our hearts. The real purpose of Christ's death, burial, and resurrection for you and I. For the power of the Holy Spirit to keep moving in our hearts. See, Jesus accomplished it all. And Jesus accomplished it all. He was raised from the dead. And he said, he came back to his disciples, and you know that he appeared to over 500 people at one time. Now, I wasn't alive during World War II. But I know World War II happened. How do I know that? Because I read it? No, because I talked to men that were in World War II. When you have 500 people in your neighborhood that saw Jesus Christ alive, it's pretty hard to continue to propagate what some thought was a lie. He appeared to many, it says in 1 Corinthians 15. He's not dead, folks. We think sometimes we act like he's dead. As Christians! But he's alive. And he wants to breathe his life into each one of us in ways that we've never experienced before. The blood and bull, blood of bull and goats couldn't do it. In fact, it says in Hebrews that God wasn't even pleased with having to... The, he, he took no pleasure in the sacrifices of all those animals. He had one sacrifice in mind. That was Jesus Christ. And Jesus, I have news for you. Jesus Christ did not just die for you or for me. I believe he would have died for one person. He died for the world. He died for the world. We live in a shallow world today. Christianity is about as inch deep and a mile wide in America today. It's all about us. It's all about me. It's all about I, 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 and God's love and Daddy's love for me. And that's all wonderful. It's all, but it's beyond us. It's beyond us. It's to the others. It's because we live in a culture that we are, it's all about me. But I want to proclaim to you this morning, it's not about you. It's not about me. It's about him. Because Jesus Christ died, was buried, and on the third day as he promised, and as the prophecies predicted, he rose from the dead. And because of that, we have the assurance 
that if we too are full followers of Christ, that we too can be raised from the dead. That death cannot keep us and hell cannot hold us. So therefore, what can man do to you? What can man do to you if death cannot keep you and hell cannot keep you captive in its bondage? What can man do to you? That's the freedom that comes in Christ. Anybody want to be free? It's for freedom that Christ has set us free. Jesus was the stone the builders rejected. He's now become the chief cornerstone. And my question to you is, do you know him? Do you know him? Do you know him? Has your life been a life that's, that's reflected him? Or has your life been a life that you've lived for yourself? You can keep living your life for yourself. I'm making you a little uncomfortable today, perhaps. But you can harden your heart and leave this place and say... I'm going to do what I feel like doing. Go right ahead. But don't you know that the day will come when we will all stand before the judgment seat of Christ and we will give an account to Him? This life goes by too fast, folks. I've watched people live their life with sex, drugs, money, all about them. And I've watched them grow, get old. And I look at them and I pity them and I think, that's what your life was like? You lived your life yourself? And look what, look what life is, look where you're at in life. You've lived a vain life. An empty life, a shallow life. Look at the legacy you left. Well, 2 Corinthians, it says, chapter 5, verse 10, For we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ, that each one may be recompensed for his deeds in the body, according to what he has done, whether good or bad. You see, when Jesus died on the cross for us, it says that he became sin for us. He became sin for us. When Father looked at him, he looked at the sin of the world. And that's ugly. Hebrews says that those who willingly continue to sin, go on sinning. I'm not talking about the struggle that happens in our lives sometimes when we're trying to overcome something. I'm talking about when you give in to sin and you just do it because you're going to do it. Because you want to do it and you find pleasure in it. And those who proclaim to be Christians and do that, it says in Hebrews that there no longer remains a sacrifice for you. For you have crucified over the Son of God. You have trampled underfoot his blood. Wow. That's heavy. That's very heavy. Why am I saying all this heavy stuff on Resurrection Day? Because if we don't deal with it and get it to the cross, we can't experience the life he has for us. 
we can't experience the joy He has for us because we're burdened down with our sins. We're burdened down with the shame and the vanity. Christ has come to set the captives free. And I was a captive, and many of you were captives. The good news is He has come to set us free. And whether you reach out to Him or not depends upon your heart. Some of you may not even believe that He's alive. You may not believe. Or you're living under this, 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 uh, this uh, lie that you're okay with things. We'll figure out. I'll talk my way out of it when I stand before the judgment seat of Christ. I'll just talk my way out of it. Oh, dear Jesus. We have an amazing Savior. We have a Savior that is the same yesterday, today, and forevermore. And to wrap that up, I'd like to say, Jesus Christ saves, heals, and delivers. Give him the praise for that. Because he saved, healed, and delivered me. And he's in that process with me continually, and he's in that process for many of you. And if there's anyone here that doesn't know him, I want to give you an opportunity to know him. Or maybe you just know him casually, or you think you know him, or you've gone to church through, off and on through your life, but you've never given your life to him, and he's never become the Lord of your life. That's what he desires, to become the Lord of our life. And if you would like to stand as we close, we are going to pray together. And if that is you, then I'd ask you to come up afterwards. Come over and talk with me. Or somebody in this church and say, you know, I need to get right with God. I can't afford to take a risk any longer. So, Father, we give you the praise and we thank you for the glorious resurrection of Jesus Christ. We thank you that he is the firstborn of many brothers. And as we've been born again, we have this precious promise that we too will not lie moldering in the grave or our soul tormented in hell, but we too can live with you in your glory and your love that we too someday can say we've overcome through the blood of the Lamb and loving not our life unto death. Father, I ask that anyone here that needs to come back, that you'll continue to speak your words of life into their hearts. Speak your conviction. And we pray, our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come. Thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us of our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever and ever. Amen. And you know what? He has risen. And he has risen indeed. Let's give him a shout of praise and glory. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. We serve a mighty God. Amen.